I'm holding here a representation of the staff of Moses. Because in the Old Testament story, Moses is supposed to go to the king of Egypt and say to let the people go free from slavery. And Moses says, uh, why would they do that? And he goes, because it's a message. God says, because it's a message from God. And Moses says, how can I prove that it's a message from God? He said, that stick in your hand. When you get in there, throw it down on the ground and it'll turn into a snake. Moses says, all right. So he goes in front of Pharaoh. He says, let my people go free from slavery. And Moses says, or the Pharaoh says, why? And Moses throws his stick down and it turns into a snake. And everyone gasps. Except on either side of Pharaoh are standing these two magicians. The Old Testament says that they knew secret arts. I think to me that means they probably, it wasn't real magic, but they were like David Copperfield or Chris Angel. or They had some illusionist stuff going on, I think. And they're like, Big deal, a stick turns into a snake. We can do that. They go down, throw their sticks down. Sure enough, they turn into snakes. And Pharaoh goes, oh, I guess you're right. It's not that big a deal. And he does not let the people go that day. I bet Moses was devastated. False teachers go down and do a counterfeit miracle and fool everybody. God didn't say that was going to happen. We're actually studying 2 Timothy today. It's an Old Testament, or sorry, it's a New Testament book. And they've got false teachers in the church. Pastor named Timothy, he's got false teachers in his church. They are literally leading people away from faith in Jesus Christ. And he must have written his, uh, the pastor who taught him, Paul, to tell him what's going on. We don't have that letter. What we have is the letter Paul writes back to Timothy to to encourage him how to get through this difficult time in his church when it's got false teachers in it. And Paul starts off giving Timothy a promise from the Bible. There are lots of great promises in the Bible. This is just not one of them. I don't like this promise. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Doggone it, I could have gone all month without reading that. I didn't need to show up for that. I certainly don't want it to be promised to me. In the last days, there'll be very difficult times. And then Paul goes on to describe them. Now listen to this carefully. See if you don't have a little twinge of familiarity. He says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That could have been written this week. That's 2,000 years old. That could have been written this week. Then he goes on. Because Timothy must be asking, you know, who are these people that can come into a church and teach false teaching and lead people away? Paul continues. He says, I'll tell you what kind of people they are. They're the kind of people who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt and sin, controlled by various desires, Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. That's really not a knock against women. 
It really, really isn't. He's just describing what's going on. And the fact is, you've seen this go on before. You've seen it recently. Think of all the pastors in the last year, celebrity pastors, celebrity Christian speakers, just in the last 12 months, who it was discovered had gathered themselves quite a collection of followers, in some cases, entire um, female communities, and then led them into abusive relationships. Now, these were women who some of had come from difficult pasts, right? Some of them had difficult paths. Some of them are trying to be set free in Christ. Some of them are seeking a man of God to teach them what this word says because they could never trust their fathers. They could never trust their brothers. They could never trust their ex-husband. They could never trust the priest they had as a child. They could never trust the pastor they had as a child. And these women join these communities or join these spiritual movements. They go seeking, is there a man of God who can teach me what this says that I can trust? And these pastors said, You can trust me, I'll teach you this word. Only that in twist it and draw them into yet another abusive sexual relationship. Some of these pastors in the last year had over 200 victims. That's not a knock against the women who were vulnerable, who were seeking a new teaching. That's just a description of what was happening. Evidently, it was always hap- it was happening all the way back in this time, and it's still happening in our time. False teaching, taking advantage of people and leading them astray. This word, I think, today is for folks who are worried about falseness in the church. This church, the church around the world, whatever, worried about falseness in the church. And we've heard I had a lot of preaching this last month about don't argue, don't fight, trust in the Lord. This is for all those who are like, why? The thing's on fire. We're just supposed to lay back and do nothing while it gets worse and worse and worse. Maybe this is the time to stand up and fight. Maybe this is the time to put all that down. Paul says it's not. But is he right? Today is a word of encouragement that God does still have this. Before we can get to that, though, we're going to need a little bit of Bible study on this passage. First question. He said in the last days, times will be difficult. How long are we going to keep working over this last day shtick in the church? You know, till the last days. I mean, how long are we going to keep running this one? Paul's telling Timothy 2,000 years ago, it's difficult because it's the last days. Your grandma, her pastor told her, it's the last days. That's why we're in the Great Depression. And now I'm telling you that it's the last days. Since Jesus' time, we're going on over half a million last days now. When are we going to be done with the last days? To answer that question, we're going to need two things. We're going to need some theology and some perspective. So let's start with some theology. Uh, despite how some folks preach it, which is like, they'll preach like, these are the very last days. It's like five minutes till Jesus comes. So, and then it's either get a bunker or give me your money or something, right? Because it's the very, it's, we're like 10 minutes out. That's really not Christian theology. In true Christian theology, the last days are everything since the resurrection of Jesus. The first days were the, the days that God created the world, showed the world how to follow him, made his promises, and the world fell away. 
The last days begin when God decides, instead of punishing everyone for the falling away, he's going to rescue us. He's going to send Christ Jesus to show us, to live on the cross, to die and to be raised again, and now begin the last days. The days of God's rescue. That's Christian theology. Okay. Now, if that seems a little hokey, given half a million of these days so far, more than, what we need then is a little perspective. So, if this timeline that I'm drawing represents time, well, of course, it's a timeline. And if it begins, let's just say like at Abraham, the, the first person in the Bible that you can for sure slap a date on, right about here, plus or minus 200 years, but we're pretty far back there. If, if the Bible represents from Abraham all the way up to where we are today, That's the timeline. The cross of Christ happens about right, right here. Well, that's not so bad. It kind of makes sense. These are the first days, a little, little more than half. And so far, these are the last days, a little less than half. It kind of makes sense in that picture. Okay. Now that assumes we're meaning to start with Abraham. What if we're meaning to start with all of human history? A lot of things happened before Abraham. There was already cities by the time of Abraham. What if he means all of human history ever since Adam and Eve? Well, in that case, then the cross would actually be right here. If it was a 12-hour clock, the cross isn't happening until about five seconds before the end. Everything since Jesus fits right there. Well, well, that certainly looks like the last days. In fact, we could go on another couple hundred years and it would look pretty much just like that. And what if he means since the creation of the universe? Since creation of all the planets and the galaxies, that all the things there are in the universe, even other than people, other beings and intelligences, whatever they may be. What if he means that? In that case, the cross would go so close to this arrow tip, it wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. And we could have another 5,000 years and it would still sit pretty much right there. Okay. With a little perspective, I, I get it. Everything since the cross has been in the last days. So Paul and Timothy did live in the last days. And your great-grandma did live in the last days. And you and I do live in the last days. And if the world should go on until you have great-grandchildren, they too will live in the last days. And their pastor will be able to draw a picture. It won't look much different than that. Okay. Then let's get to our main event. If Christ won a victory that changes the universe here and ushers in a new kingdom, why are things pretty much as bad as they've ever been? Why can we read a 2,000-year-old verse about how bad it is and we think it's no better? When I was in high school, Saddam Hussein and the armies of Iraq invaded Kuwait. And so we uh, went over there as the Americans for Operation Desert Storm. And we rolled the Iraqi army out of Kuwait pretty quickly. When it became clear that the Iraqis were out of Kuwait, and when it became clear that we could have taken Baghdad had we wanted to, Saddam Hussein ordered all the oil fields set on fire. And he opened oil pipelines and had them pour millions of gallons of oil into the Persian Gulf, just let it run out. And I turned to my dad and I said, why would he do that? Why would he destroy his own people's natural resources? Why would he pollute for a generation his own land? 
about that same time, I was in, used to be in karate tournaments. And I went to one karate tournament and I got across from this guy and he had just come back from the Junior Olympics. He made sure that I knew that. He mentioned it a number of times. So there I was with the Junior Olympian. But in the first minute and 30 seconds, it was four to zero. If I get one more point, I'm going to have at this tournament a five-point spread, and they're going to stop the match even though the clock's still running because they don't want him to lose so bad that he's ashamed. All right, then. They call fight for the final point, and this guy comes out with elbows. Illegal. Every kind of elbow you've ever been taught, spinning back elbow, front elbow, elbow uppercut, he's just blazing me with elbows. He's going to get disqualified for this. All I can do is block the elbows and look at the ref like, could you call it before this guy gets one in and knocks my teeth out? Why would he do that? Why would a junior Olympian start throwing disqualifying moves one after another after another? The Bishop N.T. Wright was studying the same passage that we're studying. And it turns out, I guess in college, believe it or not, the Bishop N.T. Wright Played rugby. Who knew? And I guess you don't know N.T. Wright. When you see him, try to imagine rugby player. (laughs) Anyways, one time he was younger and tougher. So he writes this story. It was a scrappy end to the game, but perhaps it was inevitable. We were winning by what should have been a safe margin. And with a few minutes to go, the opposition seemed to realize that their cause was hopeless. Perhaps for that reason... Though they went berserk, as maybe only rugby players can. With nothing more to lose, they threw themselves about the place, fists swinging this way and that, boots flying out to trip or kick. They were furious we'd won, and they wanted to get some revenge in person, even if they couldn't do it on the scoreline. I vividly remember the sigh of relief when the final whistle went, and we all trooped off for a bath and to compare bruises. That sense of frustration of defeat emerges in various New Testament writings which deal with what seemed at the time to be an increase in human evil. For the first letter of John, uh, the first letter of John speaks of what it's bound to be like living in the last days. Here Paul says much the same thing, warning Timothy that the forces of evil, knowing themselves to be defeated in the crucifixion of Jesus, are having a final fling dragging people into the mud, determined to inflict as much damage on the human race as they can. We who live 2,000 years later may find this language of the last days difficult to take, though, of course, 2,000 years, by most people's reckoning, is a tiny fraction of cosmic history. But But the early Christians staked their lives on their belief that with the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's new world had begun, so that, the last days had indeed arrived. The interval between the defeat of evil on Calvary and the final defeat that we still await. The point Paul is making, alongside other early writers, is that in this interval, however long or short, we shouldn't expect the world to be steadily improving. We should expect, if anything, an upsurge in evil People sometimes object that nothing much seems to have occurred with Jesus because the world is just as bad as it always was. Paul would retort that if anything, it's gotten worse. But he would add, this doesn't disprove the Christian claim. Rather, it reinforces it. That is how beaten enemies behave. That is how beaten enemies behave. 
When evil's smug and relaxed is when you ought to be afraid. It's when they start punching, kicking, elbowing, destroying for the sake of destruction that you know that they know that they've lost. And then it's over. And so we get hope from God's promise. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. He has two verses left. He says, these teachers, the false teachers in the church, they oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. Evidently, later in history, after the Bible, those two sorcerers of Pharaoh got names, Janus and Jambres. And Paul says, uh, there's false teaching in the church? Yes, but someday, just like the false teaching that happened there with Moses and the snakes, everyone's going to know what fools they are. In fact, it happened really quickly for Moses. You remember the story? After those guys threw down their staves and they turned to snakes, what happened next? The king cobra that Moses laid down crawled over and ate them. (laughs) So when you see the snakes being thrown down, the false teaching being thrown down, folks being led astray, scoffing and evil and destruction for destruction's sake in our world, two things to remember. First, God is not surprised God is not surprised. When those two guys threw down their snakes, God did not say, oh, didn't know that was going to happen. I guess you're on your own, Moses. He knew that was going to happen before he even sent him. When you see evil in the world going on around you, when you see evil in the church going on around you, you don't have to wonder, did God know this was part of his plan? Yes, he knew. He sent Christ Jesus anyway. He called you anyway. He brought us together to build this church anyway and the church up the hill. He called them together anyway and the ones on the other side of the world, he called them together anyway. He knew all this was gonna happen. It's still in his plan. He's still got it. And the second thing, is that how, that's how evil acts when it knows it's defeated. The devil at the cross sees what's happening and he says, I just have this much time, or I have this much time. I'm just going to take out all I can. I'm just going to throw some elbows, throw some kicks, dump some oil. Let's just see how much damage we can do. Which makes our rescue mission that we're called to in the church to pull people out of that deception and out of that destruction all the more urgent, all the more free. It makes the work we do all that more important. I hope you grabbed a card and a pen as you came in. If you didn't, you can run back and grab one before you come down for the Lord's table because one last time we're going to lay some fears at the feet of the cross. You can write down on that card things in this world, things in the, in the church world that you are afraid of. But you can write them down and say, Lord, you knew this was going to happen and you, your plan is still afoot. And Lord, you know this is how deceived and panicked people who are on the losing side behave. And Lord, you call us to reach them with gentleness if they will be reached. So I lay this situation at your feet. Lord, you've got it. I don't need to be acting crazy. I can follow your word. In fact, Lord, you gave me this to do last week, right? Pursue a righteous life. Be faithful. Be loving. Teach the truth with gentleness. Perhaps God will change their heart 
enjoy the fellowship of those who are gathered. Aren't we all about to go out in the parking lot and do that? Well, I can do that. I can leave these things that are too big for me here at the foot of the cross today. And I can do the calling you did give us to do. Amen. Oh,